So we are in the last two verses of James, James 5, 19, and 20. And then, uh, as I said last week, we begin Ecclesiastes next week, which I am very excited about. Um, very, very relevant, very relevant book for our times. Um, Ray Ortland is a pastor and an author that I uh, have learned a lot from, that I respect a lot. Um, I had him in a, as a professor recently, uh, uh, briefly, and uh, ever since then just tend to eat up anything that, I, that he writes or um, says. I just really love his, uh, his teaching. Um, some of you are reading or have read the Gentle and Lowly book by his son, Dane Ortland. Um, and so Ray is, is Dane's father. And one of the things that Ray talks a lot about is the culture of a church. Uh, so you have the doctrine and the beliefs of a church, which are, of course, important. You have kind of the habits and the, the, the gatherings and events and the things that the church does, and, and those are important as well. But then you have its culture, the attitudes and behaviors and and language, and the character, and the, the expectations, the role of grace, um, the freedom to ask questions or not, the, the character of the leadership. All of these things and more contribute to the culture of a church. And one of the helpful ways that Ray uh, sums up a healthy church culture is with three words. He says, gospel, safety, and time. Lots of gospel, lots of safety, and lots of time. So lots of gospel, the message of God's grace, permeating everything a church is doing, not just on Sundays, but through the weeks and in formal church gatherings and informal gatherings of the body. Lots of safety. All are welcome to come just as they are. We, we accept sinners of all stripes, all who would come to Jesus there's room to exhale and confess without fear of shaming or excluding. And then lots of time, because nobody grows fast. Nobody changes quickly. There's no deadline on growth. If God is patient with us, which he is, we must be patient with each other. So, gospel safety time. Um, a couple comments on this. First, this is... I think both beautiful and biblical. There is much to, to, to love about this. It's something to aspire to as a church, both as, as leaders, as we set the example and hopefully live this out, and then also just communicate. Um, you know, not just teaching about doctrine and doing things, but setting the character and culture of the church by how we communicate and live. Secondly, a caution on how we might misinterpret this. So it's possible that we could interpret gospel safety time solely through the individualistic, self-sufficient, and consumeristic um, aura and ethos of our culture. And so we think things like, well, well, great, I can come, get what I want, consume engage others when I want to, grow in the ways that I want to, have no responsibilities to anyone, and 
No one can tell me otherwise. In other words, that we tend to assume, or we can assume, that belonging to a church and, and growing in godliness is solely an individual project. But I want to suggest that, that this vision, gospel safety time, is best fleshed out and is meant to be fleshed out within committed, deep, and enduring community with other believers. So, lots of gospel in community. Not just on Sundays from the pulpit, hopefully you get it there, but throughout the week in our small groups and Bible studies and, and in your relationships and getting coffee and, and having others over, communicating the gospel, living out the gospel. Lots of safety in community. Now, this is kind of an interesting thing because if you want to guarantee your safety, guarantee not getting a hurt or offended, you probably want to withdraw from people because there are risks anytime you get into deep relationships with people. But you can do this and perhaps you will be safe, but you won't experience the welcome and the love and the grace and the patience that you can only get from being in deep relationships with people. So this is not an isolated safety, not a safety devoid of deep relationships, not a safety devoid of risks of being hurt and offended. No, this is safety in a committed community where we welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us, where we're not surprised by the sin in one another's lives, not surprised when we do get hurt or offended. No one's trying to prove themselves better than everyone else. Everyone knows that they're dependent on God's grace daily. And then lastly, lots of time in community. So yes, growth is important, bearing fruit is important, but no one changes quickly. And people are complex. People are complex, and they grow in different ways and at different stages than, than we might. So let's say that guy has an anger problem, and it's a problem, but he knows about it. He's confessed it to a group of guys in the church, and he's actively fighting against it, and others are fighting alongside him and praying for him. Or that gal has a self-image problem. She, doesn't, she has a hard time seeing herself in Christ, seeing her value, seeing herself, seeing herself valuable in the church, and perhaps it leads her to think and act in ways that aren't healthy. But she's aware of it as much as anyone. She's confessed it to some friends in her life, and they are fighting with her. She has a list of truths about who she is in Christ, and she's daily reminding herself of that. Again, there's no timeline, no pressure to conform to a certain image in a certain amount of time. And I say all of this, and I paint this picture because it shows one way that being a Christian is a community project. Um, and today's passage leads us along those lines but in a way that is often uncomfortable for us. In a way that requires us to hold on to lots of gospel, lots of safety, lots of time, while also digging into community. Which might seem like those are opposite pursuits at times. But I want to submit that God calls us to do, bring them together, and that in 
pursuing them together, there is life and beauty and goodness. Okay, so let me read the two verses that we're going to cover, last two verses of James, and then we'll work through it. Uh, five, chapter 5, starting in verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, we could take a primarily theological route in covering this, and perhaps that's where your mind goes immediately, like, can, what does it look like to wander from the faith? Does, what does the Bible have to say about that? And, and can you lose your salvation? And then are we, are you and I really able to save someone, as it seems to imply there? Isn't that God's work? So those are all theological questions. Um, we're not going to spend a lot of time going down those trails. We, we talk about those things a good amount. But I, I will just say I believe Scripture is clear that salvation is a work of God that radically changes your heart and your mind. As God puts his spirit in you, as God renews your heart, and that once he does that, God does not withdraw his spirit or his work or his grace. At the same time, the Bible is clear that it is possible to, uh, that there are those who appear to be Christians, even for a long time, but in the end, prove that it was not genuine, and that we too can delude ourselves and have false assurance. And so there is a need to confirm and prove the genuineness of our faith, which thankfully we can do. As we bear fruit, as we continue to hold on to Christ over time, as we repent and we see, like, I don't want to pursue this thing that leads me away from God. I actually want to fight against that. As we do these things, we can and ought to gain greater assurance that Christ is indeed in us, that we are his. So there's your theology for today. But today, we're going to focus more on the practical outworkings of the situation here. What does this actually look like in the life of the church? So let's first try to just unpack the situation that James gives us. So you have two individuals. The first one, the one who will wander, has appeared to be a true believer. Is part of the church. It says, brothers, if anyone from among you. So this individual was among the church. They apparently claimed belief in Jesus, were committed to following Christ and to his church. But then something happens that begins to call this into question. If anyone among you wanders from the truth. So either by a stated change in their beliefs and their convictions, or by their, their life, their behavior, their conduct, they begin to stray from God's word. They, they appear to no longer affirm the goodness and truth of God and his word, at least in some area. Now, we need to be very clear that this is not a matter of sin followed by repentance. This is not a matter of fighting against sin. This is not even a matter of fighting against sin and experiencing a lot of weakness and struggle in that fight. 
No. The fight and the will to fight is evidence of being in the truth. Unregenerate people, those not given with the spirit inside of them, don't fight against sin for God's glory. But embracing sin and embracing false teaching and being unconcerned about these things is another matter. This is about straying in an observable and serious matter that begins to call into question one's faith. This individual is headed in this direction, and something happened, and they've turned, and they're now headed in a different direction that is clearly against the truth. And so into this situation enters this second individual. James says, if someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering, and he goes on. So this second someone. Uh, This is another member of the church who notices this individual wandering, and instead of ignoring them or instead of saying, well, they're not my responsibility, actually moves towards them in care and concern. And perhaps in a single conversation with the Spirit's conviction, they were able to, um, there's repentance. Perhaps this happens over many weeks and months and even years of conversation and committed prayer and, and relationship They finally get through, and they help the individual recognize his or her error, turn around, which repentance means to turn 180, right, and to get back on the right track. And in doing this, James says this, you will save his soul, her soul, from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, that's a little... Scary, if we're honest. What a weighty responsibility. Like, we have this situation before us. Somebody, brother or sister in Christ, wanders from the faith, and we can even move tor- either move towards them and take some responsibility for them and engage them, or we can ignore or, or withdraw from them. And our response to that will have real and serious consequences. Now again, to be clear, God alone saves. We get into dangerous waters when we start thinking that we can be the cause or the power that brings someone to salvation, right? The Bible says we plant and water, God causes the growth, which is a hugely encouraging verse, that we have responsibility, but God alone causes the growth. The result is up to God. We can't force or manipulate a situation or change someone's heart. Only God can do that. But God doesn't work randomly without any means, right? When we we say we want to see others come to faith, we don't just say, well, that'd be nice. No, we pray for them. We send people out. We send people to missionaries to other countries to proclaim the gospel and translate the Bible so that they can hear it. We, we pray for our neighbors and coworkers, and we invite them to church so that they can hear the gospel because God uses means to save people, including you and I. And he uses means to build up his people, including you and I. So the big idea here, the, the underlying principle, the uncomfortable reality, is that we have responsibility towards one another. 
that we have responsibility, some responsibility at least, for each other's faith. There are times when others need us, and there are times when we need others. Now, it's easy to say that. It gets a little bit um, more uncomfortable when we need others when we don't really want others, or when others need us and they don't really want us, or we don't really want to engage them. But notice that this whole passage is written to encourage exactly this, right? How it's worded is encouraging us to do this sort of thing. If someone brings him back, let him know. So like, in other words, tell him, like, here is the encouraging reality that if you step into this situation and do this, know this. Here's what you should know. You can be the means that God uses to keep somebody in the faith or to be saved in the first place and to change the whole course of their lives. Again, what a weighty responsibility. But also what a great opportunity that God uses us. Again, this is difficult for most of us. I think we would prefer to kind of glance over and read quickly through passages like this or find some excuse to, to never have to do anything like this. Um, for a couple reasons. One is, as I said, our, our individualism. We, we like to think, well, that's their problem. I've got my own life to live. I don't really want others stepping into my life, telling me that I'm headed in the wrong direction, so I'm not going to do that to others. Or perhaps we think this is just the role of pastors and, and the leaders in the church. Another reason this is difficult, and understandably so, is that we, we don't want to be heavy-handed. We don't want to be harsh or appear to be self-righteous and unloving. Who, who are we to, to speak into another's lives? And again, this is understandable. Um, we certainly don't want to add to the the examples, the stories of heavy-handedness within churches, from pastors, from fellow believers. And this is why I began by emphasizing the, the value of a culture that embraces lots of gospel, lots of safety, lots of time. Those are good pursuits. But rather than running to the other extreme and merely embracing the convictions and attitudes of our culture, and the, in, independ, the independence, the, the isolation, the consumerism, the Bible leads us in a better way. The fact is, it is possible, if we are to believe Scripture, it is possible to stay humble, to be motivated by love, and to gently express concern, to warn, exhort, or correct a brother or sister of wandering, of straying. It is possible to speak the truth in love, which doesn't just mean you speak the truth and, well, the truth is loving, so there you go. No, it actually means speak the truth in a loving way. And it's possible to be on the receiving end of such loving concern and be blessed by it and encouraged by it and made wise by it and for it to be a catalyst of much-needed growth in your life. And I say this in part, well, both because I believe Bible, but also because I've seen it in this church many times. 
both the giving of, hey, let's, let's sit down and talk about this, and the receiving of, like, wow, that, that really helped. Thank you. I know that was probably hard to, to talk to me about, but that really helped my life, helped my marriage, helped whatever. So what I want to do with our remaining time is just paint a picture of what this can look like uh, to present perhaps a paradigm shift from what you imagine and for what is possible. Part of what we, just, part of what we need is just to believe that we can enter into one another's lives and take responsibility for one another in good and healthy ways. That, that the community that God draws us into is beautiful and good and worth it. So, seven factors to consider to create to creating such a community. Uh, a community, again, remember, that is pulsing with the gospel, just fl- through and through with the gospel. A community committed to, to safety and welcome and grace, but not without, a, not without risks. And a community where there is lots of time and patience and grace, but not without a sense of urgency and weightiness of what we are called to. So seven factors. First, be approachable and humble and teachable yourself. There are people with whom it is very easy to have conversations about the direction of their lives because they welcome it. And they say, hey, I, I want to grow, and I know I need other people. And they are, they are humble They've demonstrated themselves to be approachable and teachable. And there are people with whom the exact opposite is true. That any time you try to, however gently, just speak into their lives, they immediately defend and excuse and start taking it out on you. And uh, it it is vastly different having conversations with those people. And we all have the tendency towards the second. If you were married, you, you know this. But Let us aim to be the first. Uh, James has just said in the previous passage that we looked at, confess your sins to one another. So have someone or have a group of someones that you regularly confess your sins to. Uh, The elders do this with one another. And we are greatly blessed by it. And it is hugely encouraging and helpful. Second, uh, build relational capital with others in the church. Build relational capital capital with others. So don't just wait till hard times or times when you feel like you need to have a conversation to 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 love people or to go move towards people. Show people that you are committed to them and love them in all times, in especially in good times. So that when there is a situation where you have to bring a a warning or exhortation, it's not easily written off as uncaring. They, they know your heart and your intentions. Um, I went through a lengthy, multi-year period of, of really questioning and doubting a lot of what I believed, and um, mostly in un- unhealthy ways. And I had a friend that walked through that period with me and called me out on what was really pride and uh, faithlessness and unbelief. And it greatly helped me to be able to receive that and learn and, and grow from that because I knew he you know, was not just coming in out of the blue, he was a committed friend. 
that would be there no matter how I responded. Third, before you offer a word of warning or exhortation, consider your motivation. Are you operating out of genuine like concern for God and His glory and love for others? Or do you just kind of have a sixth sense of like pointing out others' faults? Probably a good litmus test is, does it puff you up or humble you? Because really, when you go to someone to talk about sin, it should humble you. You should be made readily aware that you are susceptible to the same, same things. And that you are merely an instrument of God. And that God is gentle with us when he convicts us. Jude, um, he writes, show mercy with fear. And I think that's just about right. I mean, it is scripture. It's about right. Show mercy with fear, not with haughtiness, not with pride and bluntness, but with fear. Fourth, use scripture whenever possible. Uh, conviction comes through God's Holy Spirit under God's word, right? You and I are not, people are not bound to you and I and our thoughts and convictions and interpretations of things. People are bound to God. However, we can be the means of God's word and the means of God's spirit working in someone's life. Fifth, assume the best and don't jump to conclusions. Could what you think you see in someone's life Could what you see as wandering from the truth or embracing unrepentant sin actually be something else? For example, say you don't see a brother or sister gathering with the church for an extended period of time and, you know, don't jump to conclusions. Give them a call. Say, hey, I know you guys have a lot going on. Just, you know, care for you guys. Wanted to check in and see how things are doing. Six, know that sin and suffering are often combined, often happen at the same time, and it's usually a best to start by caring for suffering. People are complex. For example, we tend to, when we are hurting, when we are suffering, we tend to withdraw from others and withdraw from community. So the initial hurting or suffering, is that sin? Probably not. Is our withdrawing from community sin? Perhaps. It can be. And so we can say something like, hey, I know you're hurting, and I just wanted to check in. I want to pray for you. If you need anything, I'm here for you. Uh, I also know that, you know, I know the temptation to withdraw from people. I just want you to know I've been hugely encouraged by letting others in, letting a couple other people in when I'm suffering and letting them walk alongside me. And I just, you know, I just want you to know that, and I'm here for you. There's no pressure uh, to change or else, no timeline, no shaming, but there is an encouragement and a, and a pointer to what is good, and an invitation to enter it. And then seventh and lastly, do your part as God leads you, and leave the results up to God. Again, we don't we can't change 
other, others' hearts. We, we should not try to force a certain response. We can speak and, and speak God's word and, and, and show love and gentleness and then trust God with the results. And one of the reasons this matters so much, this culture and atmosphere that we are called to create in the church matters so much, it is, the, is because it is the culture and relationship that God has with us. This is how God interacts with us. God welcomes us with joy, fully knowing all of our stuff, right? More than any of us know the, the dirty secrets of, of each other. God fully knows everything about us, and yet he welcomes us with joy when he comes to him, when we come to him. And day by day, he continues to, his mercy is new every morning, right? Like, not literally like God has to go get, go get mercy every morning, it's just always there. He's not cautious or half-hearted or regretful in his affections to us. He abundantly loves us. He forgives us over and over again. And yet as we go on, what does he do? He gently convicts us of our sin, of the things that keep us from him, keep us from seeing and experiencing his goodness. Um, and he comes alongside of us in that fight. He's not against us, right? Paul says God is for us. God comes alongside of us and fights in that battle with us. He gives us strength. He gives us new desires. He is fighting with us, even when we fail. And he doesn't give us a timeline with which to succeed. He grants us time and safety. He reminds us of the gospel, reminds us that his cross, that Christ's cross is sufficient for us again and again and again. And so if this is the way that God engages and interacts with us and welcomes us, we are supposed to endeavor, however weakly, however poorly, however imperfectly, seek to do the same with one another and create this sort of culture in the church. Welcoming one another, even when their, their stuff comes out. Welcoming one another when it requires sacrifice and when it's not easy to walk with others, when it doesn't make our lives easier. We enter into the good fight of faith with them. We walk by their side. We look to Jesus together. We push one another to Jesus. Uh, we are conduits for the gospel. Lots of safety, time, patience, and grace that God has given us. So I hope that gives you a little bit of the picture of what what James is calling us to here and what other passages call us to. Um, and I just want to say that we can begin to establish this sort of culture and atmosphere in, in little ways in everyday situations, right? As we move towards one another rather than just keeping our safe distance, as we ask good questions, even in the mingle, five-minute mingle and small talk, seek to get to know each other, know their fears and, and the struggles and joys and sorrows, check in on one another, show hospitality to one another. 
Simply be present to give a context for these things to happen. And in doing this, we create a culture of committed love and patience and long-suffering, forgiveness, confession, and joy. Of sticking to, of moving towards one another, sticking with one another, and finding unity in Christ. And when, and in this sort of culture, when there comes times to to warn, to express concern, to exhort or correct one another, to bring back the one who is wandering. It is not only easier to do that when this has been established, it is also sweet and, and a beautiful thing and a source of great help and joy in our lives. I know this to be true in my life. When others have come and talked to me, I know this. I know if you are honest too and think about it, I'm sure it is true for many of you. So I dare you to believe that God's vision and purpose for the church, this culture of lots of gospel and safety and time worked out in committed community to one another is good, is worthy to give yourself to, and is is better than any alternative. Let's pray.